Welcome to the Living It Up Podcast. This episode is sponsored by the Fit for Golf app, the all-in-one guide to better golf, fitness, and health. I've been using the Fit for Golf app for many months. You know, it's improved my overall strength, flexibility, and my ability to prepare the right way before I play. In fact, I find that if I'm coming in hot for a tee time, I don't just bang balls, you know, for 10 minutes like I used to. Instead, I have a set of band and club-aided dynamic stretches that I do, and then I just hit a handful of balls and putts, and I'm ready to rock. In the Fit for Golf app, you'll find a ton of workouts and programs from speed training to off-season and in-season workouts, warm-up routines, and much, much more. And Living It Up listeners, we have a special deal for you. Use the code LIVINGITUP, all one word, in checkout, and you'll get 20% off an annual membership. We thank Fit for Golf for their sponsorship, and I thank Fit for Golf for the improvements I'm seeing in my own game. Hello, welcome to a Tuesday episode of the Living It Up podcast, Tuesday after the Bedminster Invitational and the Rocket Mortgage Classic in Bedminster. Henrik Stenson, your runaway winner to a degree after a very drama-filled week where he is uh, stripped of the Ryder Cup captaincy, goes out there and uh, maybe digs something out of the dirt. But hey, I wanted to start with actually something that uh, has been top of mind for me. Uh, the Shark, Greg Norman, CEO, Chairman, Commissioner of Live Golf, sat down with Tucker Carlson, one of the guys in attendance at Bedminster. George, what did we learn about the, uh, the sit-down with the Shark over the weekend? The, the biggest takeaway I had from it is what we're seeing right now is clearly not the finished product. Uh, they are looking, he used the term beta test. This is just a launch. We just had to get going. And whatever we're going to see for the remainder of this year may have some tweaks and may have additional trials that we see. But I think what we're going to see next year is going to be more of the fully baked product. And the other thing that was really interesting is, and he's made it, he's, he made it clear a few weeks ago, but he reiterated in this interview, they're full. They, they have their roster set. And uh, he about who they're going to be, but it sounds to me like they have contracts in hand for whoever is going to be the remaining players to join. And it'll be interesting to know when that happens. Yeah, I, I took it as well. You know, you could argue it's posturing or a negotiating tactic for sure. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't put that past them, but it sounds like they're in a position of strength. They feel like their 48 for next year are, are pretty solid. Greg seems to indicate that he's getting, you know, calls from agents and players of, you know, top, top guys saying, how do I get in? And, He's telling them the boat is uh, the boat is full for now. Uh, the other thing I would say is uh, about the course. Let's jump into a little bit of you know kind of Bedminster takes. I mentioned Henrik goes out there and wins it, uh, sixty four on day one Friday, uh, along with Pat Reed, early leaders. Uh, a little bit of a I wouldn't say a stumble, but it looked like the course was set up really really difficult on Saturday. So some guys sputtered, other than Taylor Gooch, and then you know. Sunday, guys come out, and there was a, a bit of drama on the board at times, kind of middle of the round with the, uh, with the team competition. Less drama on the individual. Henrik seemed like he had it in hand most of the day. Uh, the four aces, uh, the most stacked team in the history of live golf, come away with a, uh, what turns out to be a runaway victory. But I wanted to get your thoughts on, uh, on Trump Bedminster. 
I was a little bit mixed on the course. Uh, it looked challenging. Like I said, Saturday was really challenging. Um, I don't know that it looked like a major venue. Uh, it was it was scheduled to be the PGA Championship for the guys uh, this year. That was taken away after all the drama of January 6th of 21. Um, it looked like a difficult golf course. It didn't look like one I'd want to play every day. Uh, I don't know that it looked like a major championship venue. What did you think of, uh, of Trump Bedminster, George? I thought it did well on TV. It's, it's a good course. Um, I say what you want about the Donalds. Uh, I think everyone universally agrees. He does have an eye for golf courses. And yep. if you, if you look at the scores and if we're just being objective, um, which I realize is very difficult for the golf world, these points, you know, it was not set up to be a complete runaway birdie fest. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, and I know people will argue, well, it's, you have to look at the talent and blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, there's, there's major winners in that, in that talent pool there. Um, some are more removed than others, but at the end of the day, there are real, real golf players there. And the, the, the course held its own. Uh, no one was able to just, you know, I guess Mount Wolf had, well, a 64. Um, so he was able to take it deep, which is, you know, as someone who is just a fan of, of golf and saw what looked like a shooting star um, kind of fizzle, it's very cool to see him hopefully regaining his form and also since he's been very open about it, regaining, you know, his mental health um, to, to be in a very happy place. Yeah. If there's a guy that looks like he's having fun, it is Matt Wolf. And, and I'll tell you, we chatted about this over the weekend when I was watching with my kids. When I think about the broadcast, there's a lot of things that I think they're appealing to the youth. And I would even dip that down into like, you know, preteens and teenagers. You know, it is a much more enjoyable broadcast. You're seeing a lot of shots. You're seeing flying drones, you know, racing drones flying all over the golf course. You're seeing bright, colorful leaderboards and things flying around. And I did a little bit of a test. You could argue my kids are, are biased or, or, you know, know that I host a podcast, so maybe they're sucking up to me. But they thoroughly enjoyed watching Live. They loved the drone shots. They were begging me to get a racing drone so we could do that at our club. They're, they're watching Matt Wolf. They're watching DJ. They like Bryson. Like, these are the guys that they like. And then I flip over to the, the Rocket Mortgage, and they couldn't spend 10 minutes in the room. I mean, it was like, you know, we're watching these guys, and I particularly like Cam Young. He's an up-and-comer. I like watching his golf swing. They could care less. They're watching Tony Finau hit unmemorable golf shots. They're watching a bunch of commercials. They're watching a bunch of, like, interstitials for different, you know, advertisements and Comcast business top tens. And they spent about 10 minutes, and after the second commercial break, they were totally zoned out. So, so I just use that as an example of like Matt Wolf being a guy that draws and Bryson, they draw the youth. They draw like an excitement for both on the course, on the site, if you're, if you're there in Bedminster, but also watching, uh, watching on YouTube. There's no question the broadcasts are wildly different. The, the tour broadcast is, and I'm, I don't even think it's golf, but quieter. It's well, it's it's old golf and it's and I don't mean that like, oh, 72 whole tournaments are just old and everything needs to be Lollapalooza at a golf course, which I think live might be 
trying to sell for a little bit. And I don't know that that's ultimately the right answer. Um, but golf on network TV has long been known for its amazing ability to help an African. <laughs> I don't, I don't think yes. it's, you know, a secret that nobody really watches Thursday or Friday. Maybe you tune in for the primetime recap because there's not a whole, else, whole lot else on during the summertime. But for the most part, if I put on golf that's not one of the majors or a couple of the, the tournaments and courses that I really enjoy, I'm most likely going to be asleep on my couch. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I think, you know, you mentioned a little bit of like the Lollapalooza type environment. There were some uh, chuckles that I had with like all the house music. I think you could hear it on like half the holes out there. That's one that I think they're going to dial in. And I think we've talked about this on the pod. Do I think that Liv is going to make tweaks to kind of the atmosphere? They're going to listen to play? Like, absolutely. I, I trust them more than I would trust the PGA Tour bureaucracy to like make incremental changes that make both the broadcast and the player experience, the caddy experience, the fan experience, just all around sharper as they move along. And I think that's actually a good segue into, there was a big addition to the broadcast, a familiar voice for many, David Faraday joined the booth. Uh, you know, George, what was your take on David Faraday? Was he additive? Was he funny? Was he his classic self? He's definitely additive. I don't think he's his classic self yet. If you go back and see how he had been utilized traditionally. Uh, he's able to embed with a group, follow them for a few holes. And given his playing career, I mean, he's a Ryder Cupper. He's got, he's been at the highest level. But, and he just brings this very, you know, welcomed levity to it. I, I equate him to someone you, you invite to a cocktail party and, you know he's going to have his jokes. You know he's going to be funny. He's going to be right on the edge, but he's not going to be so body that you have to apologize for him. For, <laughs> exactly, you know. exactly. He's, yeah, he's he, knows, he knows McCord. how to toe that line. He knows how to toe that Correct. line. Correct. He's, he's a polished Gary McCord, basically. Yeah. Let's be honest. And, and I think and, for me – oh, go ahead. And I, I was going to say, it's going to take time for, for him to get used to the different pacing that this broadcast is going to have. And it's going to take time for the live producers to figure out how to maximize what he brings. What I really hope he brings because live is using YouTube as a platform. I really hope he brings back his, his interview show. I really hope yeah. he's given a platform to do things, you know, on Wednesday or Thursday, the players arrive and, and do some, some talking and I, I hope it's not sort of the Barbara Walters slash yeah. Oprah, no, Oprah, let's no, get I'm on the couch you. and rehab you. Let's, let's let him do his thing and let these players shine. I think I really miss his interview show and he can now bring that out. And I think hopefully he is going, and this probably sounds a little bad, I presume he'll be used a little bit as a chess piece to do those types of things. And advertisers will be more comfortable coming to buy ads on his, whether it's on YouTube 
or we have to presume going into next year. There's, a, there's an the, app, there's a streaming partner, et cetera. Exactly. And once there's a streaming partner, whether call it Amazon or whomever, that's going to host this show, then what you're really, then I think you're really going to see him shine and be utilized. I, I, it just I, takes time. And that goes back no, to I, Greg's comment of, Hey, we're trying to figure this out. This is just the beta test. And yep. so it'll be interesting to see how he fully integrates once they all get comfortable. I'm totally with you. And this was week one for him. So I think he's, he's getting his paces in. He'll, he'll figure out and kind of find his groove a little bit. I'm totally with you on the like off the course stuff. Cause one of the things that I kind of chuckled at was, you know, they're doing these little, uh, these little montages. They've been kind of cringy at times. Like, Hey, let's do breakfast with the Kepkas and, you know, Brooks is in a hoodie and doesn't look like he's super engaged in the, in the video. But I think if you were to have David Faraday, you know, spend an afternoon on the range with some of these guys, or, Hey, let's go to your home and sit by the pool and have a chat. Those make for better sort of, you know, shot, shot breakers or, you know, kind of commercial break type activities where you can cut away and have a two minute montage on that stuff. Um, so I'm, I'm eager for him to kind of find his groove and find his way to do that with, with the players. Right. And if they do bring him in for those little montages in the, in the broadcasts, that's not terrible because the flip side is you go to NBC, which had the U S open and you got six minutes of golf Three minutes of Jimmy Roberts telling us about Francis Wiemet, who no, I had never even heard of Francis Wiemet. Oh, wait. Yes, I actually heard it. Oh, God damn. Every, every time. And, yeah. and it would just keep bashing it into our face with these Jimmy Roberts things. And I'm like, I don't care. I, one is good. Five is just you had a producer who was given a budget who had to spend it. Um, yeah. and, and so with Liv, one of the arguments or criticisms that is out there is, man, as weird as it is, there might be too much golf and bringing yeah, Faraday yeah. in for these two minutes could give people a breather um, to sort of, okay. And then reset to, to get back into it. Yeah. I'm totally with you. The, the too much golf thing is, I don't, I don't know that it's a take I, I share yet. What I do share is sometimes the constant shots don't have just that extra five seconds of context. And so I feel like a polished voice like Faraday is going to be able to set the stage a little bit better between shots and set the stage for the team competition, the individual competition, a little nugget about, you know, this guy and his caddy or his history or his, you know, upbringing. I think that sort of context setting between shots is something that has been missing for me. And I think, you know, they'll, they'll tweak it over time. Um, I wanted to get your, your thoughts on another topic that came up uh, in the last week or so. And it's this whole idea of, relegation and promotion, the international series, the qualifying events. I don't think we need to go into the details of, of it. There's a bunch of articles and press releases written about the details, but I'm curious to get your take, George, on like, does this bring another layer of drama? Does it bring added sort of weight to the team and the individual competition from week to week? What, what do you think, you know, as we move from the beta test that is this year to you know, the, the real competition of 14 events next year, plus these international series events and qualifying, like what, what do you think that's going to do uh, to the broadcast and to the product? It's, it's clearly going to add drama because you're going to have guys, the criticism also against live is, Oh, they don't care. Nothing matters. There's no cuts. What these guys are just in silk pajamas 24 seven now. Um, and so obviously 
you bring the drama of a, a, a true, like you're out of here. You are going to lose out on your cash cow. I think that's pretty impressive. I also think candidly four isn't enough. Mm-hmm. There's going to be 12, there's going to be 12 teams. I think basically the captains should have the right to decide, Hey man, your, your bottom dude's got to go. Yeah. Um, I was thinking the same thing. Like when I was thinking about it, almost like a cut line, like, you could almost argue it should be 24, right? That like, Hey, if you're not in the top half of the field, you should, you should, you should find another home up until and unless you are, you know, the captain's best friend or you're coming off an injury or what have you. And he decides he wants to keep you. But I almost think that should be captain's prerogative to keep you. If you're below that, below that, you know, quote unquote cut line of 24. Yeah. And they're going to have to do something. You can look at the, the fields and, there are a few names that continue to stay towards the bottom of the leaderboard. And I mean, really towards the bottom and not, I guess the most awkward piece is the one name that continues to really sort of be in the bottom third is Phil. Yeah, cap- captain of the team, and he's like he, combined whatever it is, like plus 41 so far. Something terrible. And he's, he's clearly he's like, hey, my game's not there, whatever. But like, oof, tough look as I think the highest paid player that's there. Yeah, yeah. And... If, not, if not the highest player, he's one of the top three. And, and I agree. It's You know, I go back to like the PJ Tour analogy. Would we, would we notice or care if – a big guy like a like a like a pill for example and, and granted he's 50 whatever one or two years old but would we notice if he shoots a pair of 74s for three straight events and this is the cut like I, I don't think so it's more that he is visible and one of the faces of this tour and is at plus 10 or plus 12 or plus 7 uh, at the end of the at the end of the day there's clearly a much bigger spotlight on him here and in the the part that it takes away from him is he's always been a streaky player who's always tinkering with this or that, uh, you know, as he'll tell anybody that, I guess the fig jam um, (laughs) nickname. And he, and so we, as fans, we could always write it off if he went three or four by missing the cut. Oh, he's working on this. He's got this thing going. He's getting ready for, the U.S. Open, so he's working on this very specific Frankenwood. Yeah, yeah he's, he's got he's got three drivers in the bag, and they're all one to, one and a half degrees of loft difference, and blah blah blah. Right. So he's he's tinkering, and this is he's going to find form, and for the most part, for most of his career, he would he'd find form. You know, one or two tournaments a year. All of a sudden, either a top five or pick one off. Um, I think he's obviously he's won enough tournaments to have a lifetime exemption to the tour. And so he can't, you can't do that on live because there's three, four weeks between events. Mm -hmm. So what were you doing for those three or four weeks? That's when you should have been tinkering. That's when you should have been getting this ready so that you show up totally peaked. Like you're showing up to a major. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm with you. It, it's been a drag. It'll be interesting to see whether there's any, I don't want to, I don't know if consequences going into the next you know year. Is he a non-playing captain? He still has equity and sort of ownership and, and the rights to control the team, but maybe they, uh, they ask him not to play. We'll, we'll see. I, I'm curious just to pivot into, uh, into what's next. There's, there's a big gap, as you noted, uh, about a month between now and Boston. They'll tee it up in Boston September 2nd through the 4th. In the meantime, you, of course, have the FedEx Cup playoffs on the PGA Tour side. And there is some, some drama. There's some rumors afoot that we could be seeing a, a lawsuit or two from one of the players who has competed in live but is also, you know, by the point system, eligible to play in the FedEx Cup playoffs, you know, George, you're, you're our, our resident legal expert. Uh, what do you think is going to happen? What do you think the strategy is? Uh, can, you, can you put on your uh, Karnak hat and prognosticate what you think might, uh, might come down the pike here? Sure. I think until the Wyndham is completed, because that, that finalizes the, the FedEx points that you can accumulate. So the field will be set. Um, from there, I think there's an argument to be made that, hey, we qualified for this by your rules. Mm -hmm. And if you happen to be a DJ, and I, I don't even Taylor, know which player. Taylor, Taylor Gooch. Taylor Gooch is up there, probably, I think, the highest of the live guys still on the, uh, the points list. Although they put out a revised points list that removed all the, the live guys up until that so, moment. I think he was like 22nd or something. Okay, so if he's there in the, the top whatever points and would clearly qualify. And he may be, he in fact might be the guy that would be the ideal plaintiff there. DJ or Bryson, these other guys that already have a ton of money, clearly signed eight figure deal over to live. It would be optically a horrible look for these guys to be the face of a lawsuit, to basically sit out the season and then go back for the big cash grab. Like yeah, you, you guys, you grabbed your bag. There's no sympathy here. And I think it's a terrible look. Gooch, on the other hand, reports are, I don't know that he signed for much at all. The no laying up guys claim that he apparently. Yeah, signed for London and thought that was it. Yeah, I like, had no idea. Like, oh, they're not really going to suspend us. And then like, oh, shit, <laughs> I guess yeah, I'm here. And perhaps he, yeah, who knows what his agent uh, was thinking on that one. The, the signs were clear what the PGA Tour intended to do. Just looking at the points, he actually is uh, on the official standings as of July 31st. I don't see this like uh, unofficial standings without these guys. He's 20th right now. He's played 22 events, 20th on the list. And so clearly a guy that could could do nothing and waltz into the first two playoff events. And if he gets a crack at one of those events through the legal system, he can make the Tour Championship. And it's important to note because there's, again, and I, I'll come back to this. I've said it every time anyone wants to talk about these pithy arguments about legacy and these guys on live are grabbing cash. Like, piss off. Everybody that plays week in and week out on the tour is playing for money, and they're playing for the opportunity to make more money. If you win a tournament, you get $1.5 million now or whatever it is. But more importantly, you get two years of runway to play more tournaments to make more money more tournaments to get more money and yep that's it that is all it is like i i can't tolerate or look anyone in a straight face who sits there and says well the legacy of the tour 
and all these other things. There isn't a kid in America, unless they live wherever the Wyndham's being played, is it down in Sedgwick in North Carolina or whatever? Yeah. Like, maybe a kid that lives in that neighborhood is dreaming of winning that tournament in front of his friends. And that, that dream, by the time they make the tour, is most likely slightly evaporated and the focus is I've got to get to the four majors. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, there's I, there's I, no I'm totally with you. I'm totally yeah, with so, you. It, it, and and so the the notion that like Gooch could do it, I think he has a really good argument. I'm like, hey, I qualified for this. I played by your rules. I got your points. He won an early tournament, um, finished I think top five in a couple of he he had a good start to the year. And there. So if anyone's going to do it, it could be him. And yeah, looking down the list, there's the other, argument. there's other, there's other guys that could be plaintiffs. Jason Kokrak at, at 43 right now. Um, actually rank. Yeah. Rank 43. Um, then you look down the list. There's uh there's guys like Matt Jones, who is uh, at 62. Again, these guys are all comfortably in the top 125, So they'd qualify for that first event and you know they'll move down quickly if they can't play that first event um so it'll be it'll be super interesting whether or not there is a lawsuit how quickly it's it's uh you know weighed in on with an injunction or a, or a temporary order uh certainly the first legal hurdle hiccup that happened was the scottish open and that one you know tended to side on on the players so we'll see what happens in this case um i, I tend to believe like my my sense is it depends on the judge you find. Are they, are they, you know, more leaning toward what contracts say or more leaning toward, you know, the, uh, as opposed to the letter of the law, like the, the principle of, you know, labor practices and restraint of trade and things of that nature. Cause the letter of the law would say, yo man, you signed an agreement. They were very upfront that if you went to a competitive tour, you were getting suspended. So ha have a nice day. Goodbye. If you find someone that wants to read into the, you know, the principles as opposed to the letter of that contract, you might find some sympathy. I, it'll be interesting. James Hahn has had quite the, the run on Twitter uh, the last couple of days talking about this. And, and this is where I've always kind of felt the tour was vulnerable mm -hmm. in they love to use the words independent contractor. And what and Hahn kind of put a point on it. The tour wants you to be an independent contractor whenever they don't want to pay you. But the second they need you you're you're bound by these other rules and and i think that's that's where this will ultimately get decided is if you're an independent contractor in i think virtually all u.s jurisdictions there's very strict criteria that decide whether or not you're independent and if if you are limited in what you can do in your off time then courts tend to decide you're not an independent contractor. Yeah. And that's where Jay, I think, has his biggest problem because this is clearly – so for Gooch, who has 22 events, he's fulfilled his obligation to the tour. And he's fulfilled his obligation under the, the player agreement. So effectively, if he – instead of going to play for Liv, he could have sat there and said – shit, I'm 22 in the rankings. I'm going to go play the majors. I'm going to put my toes in the sand and I'm going to show up to the FedEx Cup tan, rested, and ready. 
Yep. There's nothing Jay could do to prevent him from being there had he simply said, I'm good. I'm, I'm done. But in played three live events and and I hope if he if he becomes the plaintiff, I hope there's correspondence from his agent to the tour saying, Hey, we want to play in this event. We disagree with your suspension. Um, he's an independent contractor. We've looked at this. Let us play. And if they say no, then they just sit back and, and bring this. So that would be really interesting. That he would be a really interesting test case. But when you're in these fights, this you you want to be strategic so that sort of you're gonna win the first battle, whatever it's gonna do, be. So this the Scottish do, do Open you, thing was a perfect example. Yeah, and I'm always curious. Again, you're the legal guy here, so help me weigh in. If I think about court cases like this, usually they would involve weeks or months of discovery and interviews and depositions before you get to a, a legal like you know situation. In these where situations where the clock is ticking, do you generally find that like an injunction or temporary order tends to be always like uh, as uh, accommodating as possible in the sense that like they would say, hey, we're not weighing in on this, but we are saying there's a possibility we may find for the player. And so we're just going to let him play under some sort of, I don't know, temporary order. So the, to get the temporary restraining order, the preliminary injunction is the, the court basically has to look at almost you if you're going in with it you have you've prepared for this and you effectively work up almost your entire case right then and there there is still a lot of discovery and stuff that goes on but you effectively go in laying bare your path your argument yeah you, you would say here are my path. arguments here's my precedence and you're laying out what your what your line of thinking is going to be correct and then you you basically have plaintiff that there is an irreparable harm that will occur and in this case he can make that showing um and that there's no other remedy to prevent it from happening check checks that box and that you're more most more likely than not to prevail on the merits of the larger case that's not necessarily a clear totally and so the judge looks at that and says it's a balancing because all of these things for lack of putting people to sleep on the legal side, you know, there's, there's the court of equity and injunctions are equitable relief, meaning you, you have to kind of, the court has a lot of flexibility to get to the right decision. Mm-hmm. And the, the tour is going to argue, well, hey, wait a minute. If we let him in, we take a spot away from a guy who's honored his contract and mm-hmm. has not gone to the breakaway league. Gooch has the very compelling argument to come back, as I noted earlier, to say, I honored my argument. I honored my agreement. I was here, played 22 events, which I think I saw somewhere at the minimum is 15. Mm-hmm. I, I amassed the points. I played within your framework. I went and did these other things on my free time. I could have literally sat at home, never appeared anywhere done any marketing for the tour, done a thing, and I would have been allowed to play here. So mm-hmm. you're, through your own actions, allowing someone else to take my spot that I earned under your rules. That is a compelling argument. Is it compelling enough? I don't know. But that would be Jay's nightmare. And one could argue, too, that when you're faced, and you, you know this full well, 
when the when the when the pocket depth in terms of uh, legal sort of uh, you know being able to, to justify and pay lawyers, uh, you, you could argue that like there's a bottomless pit of money on the on the live side, whereas you're just going to dip into that reserve fund. Uh, the more court cases that you open up against the PGA Tour, and, and at some point, you know the players are going to have to say, "Hey, is this worth our reserve fund?" Just depleting it in court case after court case. And, and if 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 you are a diehard tour guy, the the reality is you're going to say yes because you see the pension, you see you if if you believe Jay, and that there is only one path. And it's the path that exists today. You, you will say, please use all available funds to go yeah. fight this. Yeah, fight if, to the death. If you believe Greg or potentially, you know, the guys who are trying to fund the PGL, that no, no, there's actually more paths that allow everyone to sit at the table and no one's pies to get meaningfully reduced then you're going to sit back and be like, well, wait, guys, what is, what is the end game here? And this is, this is where I think coming into the off season, once we get through the FedEx cup and, you know, likely the president's cup, I think there's going to have to be some sort of summit of the players, the top players without Jay in the room where they come to him, like, are we being led down the right path? Yeah. And, and do we need to remove Jay? Has he, has he bungled this enough where we need new leadership? Yeah. Cause I, I mean, the, the PGL guys have come out and been very, very vocal that they've provided the entire proposal to be shown to the membership of the PGA. And apparently it has never been brought before the membership. And whether I'm Scotty Scheffler or I'm James Hahn who might lose my card, I'm kind of pissed that I at least don't know what's out there mm -hmm. or that I have to have my agent go knock on doors to try to find information because yeah. the tour and the player committee won't bring it to me. I I'm totally with you. I think that, you know, we are going to see this like pause, a bunch of rumors and conjecture until the FedEx cup. Again, this legal uh, battle aside for people that may try to get into the FedEx cup playoffs. But I think you're going to see a bunch of additional player defections after the FedEx Cup slash President's Cup, depending on what side of the pond you're on. And then we're going to see just like a reckoning of what are we doing here? Is Jay the right guy? Like there's a lot of drama to be had over the next few months, but not a lot of drama on the golf course on the live side. So they are coming back in uh, Boston uh, early September. And I think, um, you know, a lot of these things remain to be seen. The OWGR board needs to be, they need to review the application. Who knows what they're going to say? I think that's some drama that we'll have to uh, to see how that plays out. We can jump back on the pod to see how that's progressing. But hey, in the meantime, George, I will bring you some breaking information. We're DC guys. Juan Soto to the Padres. I don't know that I saw that one coming. That just happened a minute ago. Uh, but I will say the other the other important thing in our orbit is that we've got the member member at our club. I'm excited for you to finish second this weekend, and I just wanted to wish you well. Uh, hopefully, we don't get any rain, but uh, play well, brother. Hey, I'm probably going to take your team on my shares <laughs> so uh, we can root for each other. Fantastic. All right, brother. Good to chat with you. Good luck this weekend. Uh, play well. All right. Take it easy. See ya.
This episode is sponsored by the Fit for Golf app, the all-in-one guide to better golf, fitness, and health. I've been using the Fit for Golf app for many months. You know, it's improved my overall strength, flexibility, and my ability to prepare the right way before I play. In fact, I find that if I'm coming in hot for a tee time, I don't just bang balls, you know, for 10 minutes like I used to. Instead, I have a set of band and club-aided dynamic stretches that I do, and then I just hit a handful of balls and putts, and I'm ready to rock. In the Fit for Golf app, you'll find a ton of workouts and programs from speed training to off-season and in-season workouts, warm-up routines, and much, much more. And Living It Up listeners, we have a special deal for you. Use the code LIVINGITUP, all one word, in checkout, and you'll get 20% off an annual membership. We thank Fit for Golf for their sponsorship, and I thank Fit for Golf for the improvements I'm seeing in my own game. Thanks for listening to the Living It Up podcast. Follow us on the Twitters at Living It Up Pod. See you there.